everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. Not a great weekend as far as uh, putting wins on the board, scoring runs. The starting pitching finally began to falter just a bit. Um, yeah, you know, it is what it is. These things happen. Peaks and valleys, ebbs and flows. I heard Pete Alonzo talking about it on Saturday after game two. Um, pretty much echoing what we've been saying at the Apple all year. Just kind of got to roll with it. This is par for the course. You know, no team has ever gone 162-0. and uh, Plenty of very, very good teams have, have had, you know, very low production gaps in their uh, in their schedule and you know the Mets all things considered considering I should say considering what with what they're dealing with um it, it's it's been a uh, you know a, a very positive road so far uh, I think they're heading into the doubleheader on Monday the Braves are coming into town I'm recording this at around six o'clock. The Phillies are uh, currently playing the Giants. I can tell you the score there, actually. Oh, 7-2 San Francisco. Okay, so it looks like the Mets will... What is it? We're in the sixth there? Okay, so it looks like the Mets will be heading into Monday with a four-game lead in the East. Certainly not anything to uh, to, to ride into the sunset. It's not, a, not exactly a, uh, a comfortable cushion, but it is what it is. And again, back to all things considered... Um, the roster that this team has been playing with, especially on the offensive side, over the last, you know, let's just put it at like 10 weeks, um, you know, this this whole group could have easily just mailed it in. We've seen it happen in the past. Um, from the top down, this goes from the front office bringing in, you know, <laughs> unsung depth guys to kind of fill any gaps, but uh, very quality players, all, you know, everyone's kind of come in and produced at one point or another. And, you know, you can't expect guys coming in off the street to, uh, you know, to hit 330 over the course of a month or whatever the case may be. But, you know, down to your Billy McKinney's and even Mason Williams, who was DFA'd on uh, on Saturday, uh, Sunday, my apologies. Um, you know, everyone's had their moment. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that Mason Williams kind of passes through waivers, which, you know, he, he, he showed that he could perform at a at a major league level um even as a you know very very end of the bench piece so he might be picked up somewhere but um i i kind of foresee him going back to syracuse and you know if the mets need him again down the line he's going to be there but they'll have to <laughs> pass him through uh through through dfa waivers once again to uh, to cross that bridge if he does so um the Mets will be getting plenty of guys back over the next, let's say, week or so. Jeff McNeil's expected back on Monday. Michael Conforto said over the weekend he's feeling great. Brandon Nimmo, I believe, went one for two. He played four innings in center field on Sunday for Syracuse. So piece by piece, guys are coming back. And I think the offensive lull, which, of course, we were, <laughs> this was all leading into, that the Mets are kind of experiencing right now, it's, um, it's all kind of part of that. And for where they are and for what they've accomplished so far, you know, this was expected. This could have happened literally this entire time. They could have been scoring no runs. And for the most part, they have been scoring no runs. I think they're still second in the league in, uh, in runs scored. But, you know, the pitching's been fantastic. And it's, uh, it's really, you know, it's, it's made all the difference. And, and that's, you know, some timely hitting. I know the Mets with runners in scoring position have been a lot better uh, after that dreadful start with uh, 
with, you know, with opportunities out on the bases. So you have to kind of, it's a give and take. You know, this is a game, it's a fickle game at that, that, you, you know, everything is fleeting. Success is a, uh, it's a battle to just consistently attain it. That's why there's only a handful of players that are consistently great, known as Hall of Famers. And, um, you know, it, there's going to be slumps. There's going to be underperformance when you're running out a roster with, you know, let's say five of your regular, <laughs> well, well at, at maximum, I think it was five, five regulars out of the lineup. This type of things, you know, these types of things going to happen. But as we were saying, as the Mets get guys back, it's going to be a different, um, just a different story. And there may be a, um, a bit of a transition period where guys are getting back into, uh, into game speed. That's where you kind of have to hope that, um, these rehab assignments with AAA are going to be fruitful in the fact that and it just in, in the, in regards to, you know, McNeil or Conforto, just hitting the ground running when they come back, what that's going to say for the, the bench mob or the replacements or whatever we want to call them now that they've been starters for the past six weeks. Um, what that means for them, you know, guys like Jose Peraza, that's going to be an ultimate bench piece. Uh, I think I've said it on the show before. I would not be shocked if, he turns into more of a, uh, you know, if he's being, you know, seldom being used, uh, he's proven beyond a doubt that he can perform. Um, again, ideally, I think the Mets should keep him in the fold. He's versatile. Um, if the roster crunch, you know, if it's there and it comes down to it and, you know, maybe you move him, move him around. I don't know. Yeah, you know, this is a bridge to be crossed, but uh, it's certainly something to think about. But, you know, your Billy McKinney's, I think he's got to stick around. I think your Jonathan VR until J.D. Davis comes back between McNeil and Guillaume, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of games with VR starting the third. And I, you know, we said it on the Apple. I've said it a bunch of times on the show. Um, you know, this is a guy who hadn't played third base at all since, you know, in what, five years, 2016? Negative 10 outs above average at the position that season. Hadn't played it since. And he comes in and he's, you know, he's not doing phenomenally. I think he's negative two OAA. But, boy, with the level of production that he's been able to bring at the plate, um, especially hitting leadoff, I think Gary Cohen brought it up over the weekend during the broadcast, how uh, he's got an OBP of over 500 hitting in the leadoff spot. That's, you know, that's always going to play, especially during times like these when you're playing so shorthanded. It's, uh, you know, it's just wonderful to see. On the pitching side, um, again, you know, the Mets still have, I think they entered Sunday with a 3.11 staff ERA. That's across the board, and that's tops in the majors by a healthy amount. Um, <laughs> Jacob deGrom's exploits, uh, of course, factor into that. But, you know, down the line, Marcus Stroman's been terrific. He had a nice uh, nice day out his last time out. Taiwan Walker went on Sunday. Wasn't as sharp as he has been in the past, but um, – I guess, you know, you can't expect, uh, you know, Jacob deGrom level appearances every time a guy goes out. Um, has Walker been invaluable to this team? Just instrumental to this team's success? Yeah, most definitely. Um, the value that him and Stroman and even Peterson and, and we'll, we'll talk about Lucchese in a second, but both of those guys, uh, I should say all four of those guys over the last couple of weeks have really um, – just solidified the, the 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 other spots in this rotation um, beyond Jacob Degrom, and uh, it's all just it's been such a um, a beneficial kind of turn of events 
to get this level of production out of this group of guys, which, you know, we've talked about it in the past, has not, it was not the group that this team had in mind, uh, you know, entering the summer months. Um, I think everyone expected Carlos Carrasco to be back in the fold by now. Uh, of course, Noah Syndergaard was eligible to be activated off a 60-day IL. I believe it was the first or second day of June. And, you know, since his setback and, you know, we might have, it's possible we don't see him again this season. Knock on wood, you know, if he can make it back and uh, especially before September 1st and have a chance to be on the postseason roster if it, you know, if things get to that point, uh, that's huge if you have a healthy Syndergaard and uh, even you know more so a healthy Carrasco who's not coming off a, an elbow injury rather a, a, a hamstring injury which you know I do like how the Mets have taken a cautious approach uh he's I think Keith Hernandez was talking about it on the broadcast this weekend too um you know he's an older player I think he's 33 34 years old um the hamstring is tricky of course he's not a position player he's not moving around a bunch but you know, for a pitcher, all that power is coming from your legs and your body. Uh, I should say it all starts from your legs. And um, you got to be, uh, you tread lightly in situations like that. And I think with Carrasco, especially with the level of production the Mets have got so far, it's, uh, you know, let him take his time. He could certainly be used now because, as we learned on Sunday, Joey Lucchese's, uh, I, I'm sorry, Saturday, Joey Lucchese's being placed on the 10-day IL with elbow inflammation, um, initial reports out of Mets camp is that they are uh, not overly concerned. There will be an MRI, I believe, on Monday. Uh, you know, um, the strides that Lucchese's taken, the additional work that he's brought on, it's, um, you know, it's been very, very encouraging. You guys know that we've spoken highly of Lucchese in the past. Um, if he needs a week or two to, to get things in order as far as his health, you know, that's that's okay. Uh, where the Mets are going to find the depth, <laughs> you know, we'll see. Um, you might see uh, extended starters come out. You might see Gazelman get another shot. He got a uh, start on Saturday. Uh, yeah, Saturday, game two. We went only two innings. Sean Reed Foley came in. Wasn't as sharp as he'd been. But, um, yeah, if Lucchese's got to miss time, you can kind of make it work. You know, the Mets have been making it work all year round on the offensive side. Uh, you know, if guys are hitting the I.O., just the natural things that happen in a baseball season, I, I think they're well-stocked to uh, to kind of absorb that hit. Um, Eikhoff, you have to imagine, he'll be in the mix at some point. Uh, he's been pitching in Syracuse. I don't have his numbers in front of me, which shame on me, I should. Um, you know, eating up innings, guys, that's all it takes, right? And scoring runs, which... The Mets had a very, very tough time scoring runs this weekend as we started the show off. We got a little sidetracked. Uh, hadn't scored a run before Francisco Lindor's home run in the first on Saturday in game one. Hadn't scored a run since Wednesday versus the Cubs. Um, not going to play. You know, we know that this team has had trouble scoring runs, but, you know, they've come when they've needed them, as we were saying earlier. Saturday's game one. Great win. Huge for Francisco Lindor. Huge for the Mets as a team. Huge for Trevor May. Trevor May got the save. Um, ran into a little bit of trouble and still found his way out of it. Uh, he's had strung together a few scoreless innings now. and um, You know, very cool to see. I think we, uh, as, as a fan base, having Trevor May in top Trevor May form, it just makes gives everything a different dyna dynamic, especially with 
Jerry Reese familiar falling into a, a bit of a his own lull lately. I think we saw that on Sunday. And his last few outings, he just hasn't been sharp. He's leaving a lot of stuff over the plate. Um, you know, you have to kind of just roll with it. John Lester held. I'm jumping all over the place. I apologize, guys, but it is what it is. It's Father's Day. I'm just kind of running through this uh, off the cuff. Uh, John Lester. Uh, it looked like vintage John Lester, and that'll happen sometimes too. And it just happened to coincide with the time that the Mets, pretty much as an entire unit, are having a very time putting the ball, uh, you know, hitting it where they ain't. So, you know, it's going to happen from time to time. Sunday was a, you know, coming into the week that they're coming into, Sunday was a pretty important game to win. Um, you want to split that series. You want to head home with a little momentum. We're going to jump into that. We're also going to talk about Jacob deGrom a bit. Take a quick break here from our sponsors and uh, and hang tight. Welcome back. Again, we're just doing a quick one today. I took a few time, a few minutes away from the family, spending a lovely Father's Day with uh, my wife, Heather, my two girls, Kayla and Lily, and uh, yeah, just kind of kicking it. So um, on Sunday, as we were saying before the break, the Mets... Kind of needed to to secure that bag on Sunday, man. Going home for two consecutive four-game series in three days. So, yeah, four versus Atlanta starting Monday, doubleheaders Monday. Finally, they get an off day on Thursday. It's been two weeks since their last off day. Uh, Friday starts another four games in three days against Philly. Got a little one-off against Washington on Monday following that. And then, you know, you're heading off to Atlanta and then back to the Bronx before – for uh, 4th of July weekend. So, you know, it, it's a tough stretch stretch ahead. Um, any kind of sliver of momentum that the Mets can grab, especially as they're still playing with a shorthanded roster, hopefully Monday that's going to be different. We keep hearing that McNeil's going to be back. So uh, that's the first domino to fall in that kind of process. But, um, yeah, heading, you know, heading home Sunday night with a win. I, I want to say it's important, and it kind of is, but like we said earlier, the Mets are still going to be four games up in the division. This team has withstood so much adversity so far. You know, t- losing three or four to a team that was very hot coming in, and a player in Kyle Schwarber, who hit five home runs between Game 2 on Saturday and Sunday, um, just, you know, these are buzzsaws that you run into. It's going to happen. Taiwan Walker, we said it a bit earlier, wasn't quite as sharp. I think he tied a career high, letting up 10 hits in his 6.1 innings of work. Um, he came in, and it's funny. I tweeted it, you know, a minute before the game started, I think. Him and Jacob DeGrom came into the day tied uh, for second in the majors, or second least in the majors, with 0.4 home runs allowed per nine. They're behind Nathan Eovaldi, who... You know, he could be 45 at this point. You could tell me that, and I, I would think you're telling the truth because uh, it feels like he's been doing it for so long. But, yeah, um, you know, he's uh, t- going back to Taiwan Walker. He's done a terrific job of keeping balls in the park. And, you know, he, he's had just an outstanding year. And, you know, you run into a guy like Schwarber, and uh, <laughs> it's going to happen. And for, I think, after Schwarber's home run, you know, he was letting up hits, but he was getting out of it. I think he, by the time he left on Sunday, Walker, of course, uh, three runs over six innings, that's keeping your team in the game. You can't really complain about that. If the Mets are scoring runs, you know, it's it's a different story. But then, you know, the bullpen, um, Familia, 
another home run to Schwarber. And then Davey, uh, Davey Martinez takes Schwarber out. And I, we learned after the game it was for uh, for health purposes. His knee was acting up. But, ah, oh, did you guys hear Gary Cohen? He was incredulous. Oh, my goodness. I, I love it. When Gary gets worked up, um, it, it's the funniest thing. And even, you know, he's right. Like 99% of the time, he's right. And he's justified in getting worked it up. I just get so tickled at it every time I hear him, man. And, you know... Keith Hernandez, bless him, he gets pissed off a lot at a lot of things and very set in his ways, and, you know, that's what we love about him. But Gary Cohen, oh, man, he usually keeps such an even keel. And he throws his very subtle digs and very subtle hints, and it's it's just perfect. It's absolutely perfect. But, boy, he, he, was, uh, he was beside himself. And, of course, you know, after the game, as I said, we learned about the knee issue, but... Oh, man, he was making jokes about it, and fair, good for him. I, he, as he said on the broadcast, no one in Major League history has ever hit six home runs over a two-game span. So uh, I think his baseball fans, I don't care if the Mets lose 7-2, to it's compared to, uh, uh, or whatever. What the hell is the score? Yeah, 6-2 to is compared to 5-2. to I, It doesn't matter to me. Um yeah, I'm just there to see baseball. That's why I get so much shit on Twitter when I'm, I, I make a Yankee comment. And it's like, oh, wait, you're a Yankee fan? Yeah, I'm not a Yankee fan, but I'm not a Yankee hater. But anyway, we, we've, we've gone astray. Um, as I was saying, the Mets have a very big week. One of their more instrumental cogs, what, the most instrumental piece in the entire orchestra, Jacob deGrom, after leaving his last start, we talked a little bit about it on Friday, um, he left his last start with shoulder pain. We've heard since that it it came from, uh, they believe it might have come from swinging the bat, which is another conversation altogether. Actually, it's not. We could talk about that real quick. Um, Luis Rojas said that uh, it's possible that DeGrom may be asked not to swing the bat in order to, to save his shoulder. And, um, you know... It is what it is. I think the bigger conversation, I don't care if he swings the bat or not. I mean, you got a guy hitting for whatever. Maybe you do care if he swings the bat. But um, you guys know me. I'm a proponent of the universal DH. I think that whatever we're doing to keep our pitchers safer is the best course of action. And, you know, this isn't the first time this season that a Mets pitcher has been hurt swinging the bat. No. I don't think Taiwan. I'm not sure if Taiwan Walker's side tightness was from swinging a bat. I know he couldn't swing the bat. Okay, maybe I'm getting tied up. Anyway, again, this is all off the cuff today, guys. I was actually going to push this off, but hey, I got a few minutes. Let's do it, right? So, if it's going to keep the pitchers healthy, I'm absolutely fine with him not swinging the bat. The more pressing question is, do you shelve him for a start? I've said it a few times. Jacob DeGrom knows his body better than anybody. At this point, if he's saying that he's good to go, um, I think I'm I'm pretty much okay with that. I, I believe <laughs> if he says he's good, um, I believe him. If he was not, as we've seen over his last two starts, if he's not feeling right, he says something. And coming into Monday, uh, if he's given the green light, I think we should all be on board and not be worried about it. And uh, you know, even if he comes out and gives you four and says, okay, you know what, let's not go too far. That's absolutely fine by me because it's a seven inning game. And Hey, what, what better way to ease him back in to let him breeze through four innings? You know, if he comes out and he's the type of player, as we just said, he's the type of guy who's, if he's throwing his warmups and said, nope, something doesn't feel right. 
um, he's going to say something. But, you know, an MRI, a few sets of doctors looking at it. Everyone says we're good to go. Jacob deGrom says he's good to go. I'm good. I'm happy with it. Let's let's do it. That's fine by me. Um, again, the Mets just have to start scoring some runs. You can't, you know, you can't expect to go through a whole season with the outstanding level of pitching that they've seen. Um, and granted, guys are going to go through ups and downs. We talked a little bit about Dom Smith last week. Um, he's, you know, I think he's really playing that cat and mouse game right now as far as yeah, just adjusting to what pitchers are showing him. In this age of so much new information, I think that these turnaround times between a pitcher making an adjustment, a hitter adjusting to that, a pitcher readjusting, I think these turnaround times are going to be so much quicker in succession just because of the, the level of information. I mean, I'm a, I'm a blogger. I, I know baseball, but you know I'm not a professional analyst by any means. I can go on StatCast and say, oh, you know what? I was talking about Pete, I think, uh, ahead of Saturday's game. You can see that last season, I don't have the graphs in front of me, but it, it, it's cool. I still have them in my head. Um, last season, or I should say, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, last season, pitchers were attacking Pete low and inside a majority of the time, and that's a majority of the time where he was where he was um, whiffing, where he was swinging and missing the pitches, was low and inside. He's made a really, really strong commitment this season, and he's talked about it, and he said it, to not chasing pitches. And his chase rates have gone down, but I'm talking like individual zones around the plate. So over the, I guess last season, guys were pitching him low and inside, and he was really falling for it. He's stopped biting, and when, you know, when you stop chasing, it makes pitchers adjust. And from there, pitchers started going. Now they're going upstairs. And you can see it's like a 10% increase. Um, one more reason that we still, we have to start doing this on YouTube so I can show you guys the, the, the stuff that I'm finding. Uh, one day soon, I promise. Anyway, just to kind of speak to the, the adjustments that are constantly being made. You can see where a guy performs well. You can see where a hitter fouls a ball away. You can see where a guy has an average exit velocity of over 100 miles an hour. I was talking about it with Joey Lucchese last week, how he attacked Fernando Tatis just outside of a zone that he always hits hard. He puts him on the ground, but he hits him hard, of course, increasing the chance that it's going to find grass. Guys are just, they're attacking Pete Alonso a little bit outside his comfort zones, and his discipline's gotten that much better that he's laying off the places that he's focusing on, but these are professional pitchers with pitching coaches, with scouting reports, with the same information that we have, if not 10 times more. And, you know, they can look and say, okay, well, you know what? He's hitting the shit out of the ball right there. But if you go up an inch, he fouls that pitch off. And if you go up another half inch, he whiffs on it completely. And that's kind of what they're doing. They're going up a very, very small ladder on Pete Alonso. But again, that's just one example of the plethora of information available that pitchers and pitching staffs and pitching coaches can now just absorb and say, oh, we can exploit this. We can exploit that. This guy is vulnerable here. And um, back to what I was saying, the, the turnaround times between a guy absolutely on fire and then a guy just, you know, falling off a cliff, which, you know, from 
far away is going to be like, oh, well, he's just inconsistent or very streaky. That might be the case, but when pitchers at the level that they're pitching also have the scouting reports to absolutely attack in the places that they have to attack to succeed, I should say. Um, and again, commanding and controlling and, and you know executing is a big, big part of that. But um, I think as Lucchese said on after his start, you know, see the glove, throw with the glove, hit the glove. And, and simplifying things and, okay, if you attack this guy here or just, you know, it, it, there's so many facets to it. I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but there's just, there's always the ability to look a little further and not be so quick to be like, oh, well, this guy sucks. Oh, well, this guy is awful. No, this guy is battling to win a chess match. That's what baseball is. It's chess in nine-dimensional form or however you want to look at it. It's uh, it's just a series of adjustments. And, you know, you can look around and be like, oh, well, yeah, how does Vladimir Guerrero keep hitting home runs? And he just doesn't ever get cold. And how does Shoei Otani do these amazing things? And, well, that's, that's how you determine who's a cut above the rest, is the guys who can do it consistently and adapt, adapt and adjust on the fly. You know that major league pitchers aren't throwing – you know, middle, middle, dick high fastballs to Vladimir Guerrero, just saying, oh, I hope he hits this one real far. No, they're, they're trying to get him out, and he's just adjusting on the fly. That's how much, that's how talented of a hitter he is. And, and the Mets have these level of hitters. You just got to work to it. And no, I am not, I understand that Michael Conforto is never going to be a, 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 a 50 home run hitting 360 guy. I understand that. But, you know, the level of, I should say the speed of their turnarounds when they fall into these little slumps, I think that's going to determine where this team's going to land. Like uh, Francisco Lindor, I know we talked about him in the first half briefly. So he hit, I got again, not that I don't have the numbers in front of me, uh, like 280, 340, let's say like 480 or something like that, from May 5th to June 6th. Um, after that, he fell off a bit of a cliff. I think he was like 5 for 35 or 6 for 35 before breaking out on Saturday. You know, these are the – there's always going to be down times. And, I, I, you know, Lindor's always been – I don't want to say a streaky guy, but, you know, outside of those big, big years that he had, those are the 2018s and the 2017s, he's always been the – up and down and up and down. And I don't think he ever experienced a slow start like he did this year. So yeah, battling back and you look at his line, it's like, oh shit, he's hitting 220. Like, you know, there's so much more to the story than batting average. I can't scream that loud enough, but that's a, that, that's that's another conversation for another day. Boy, I could throw batting average and RBIs right out the window. But, uh, you know, there's a certain historical <laughs> weight that goes along with those. And they're not totally useless. They're just, meh. RBIs especially. Just what a waste of a stat. You can't control who's on base when you hit. You can control how well you hit when guys were on base. So your batting average of runners in scoring position is much more important than your RBI total. But hey, you know, Triple Crown really sounds like a cool award to win, doesn't it? So that's what we do. And boy, we went off the tracks today. Holy shit, we got to, I can't believe we got a full half hour in. All right, guys, big week. The Mets have, like I said, Atlanta for four, Philly for four. 
Um, Atlanta's bullpen has been absolutely porous. So if the Mets aren't scoring runs early, uh, we can always not count on them scoring them late. But the chances are increased if they're facing Atlanta's bullpen. The Mets have, uh, you know, they have the numbers of, of a couple of guys that are facing this week. So hopefully, you know, things turn around. And as we said earlier, the uh, the, the healthy reserves are returning. Jeff McNeil back Monday. Hopefully Jacob DeGrom doing special things on Monday as well. And, uh, yeah, I think the festivities start at 5 p.m., seven innings on each end. Uh, yeah, let's have a good week, guys. Check out the Apple for updates. Of course, subscribe, rate, and review. It's simply amazing. And we'll see you on, uh, on Friday. Let's go, Mets. Peace. Yeah!